Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Hey, Happy New Year! Happy New Year to everyone! Uh, if you're connecting online with us today, we're having communion. We're going to sit down at the Lord's table, so get ready for that. Uh, those of us here, uh, we have a prepared. It's, uh, it's a new year. We've heard a few times this year. 2020, goodbye. So long. Uh, is there anyone want to hang on to 2020? Anyone? No hands, no hands. No texts, no likes on Facebook. Nobody wants to hang on to 2020. I didn't think so. I saw this headline a couple of days ago. It was very simple. Good riddance to terrible 2020. Nobody's really arguing with that. We welcome 2021. January number one, the first day of the year. It marks a new year. And that's not always been the case, though. We just heard in the, in the video, every day is a good day to resolve, to do better, to not give up. And that's so true. January 1st, it's a special day on the calendar, yes, but it's not necessarily uh, the day that marks the new year for everybody, nor has it been that way forever. A few hundred years ago, New Year was marked on March the 25th for many people, or for others, it was December 25th. We know why that would be a new year. The Ethiopian New Year to this day, it's called Enkudetesh, and that's on September the 11th. So in Ethiopia, September 11th was a new year, and they started year number 2013. For me... September 11th is not New Year's Day at all. For me, September 11th is New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve because that's the day before I started my first rotation around the sun here on earth. So the very next day is always New Year's Day for me. And I think maybe that's a better day for us to look at New Year's or to be our New Year Day as our birthday. We could look at any day of the year, really, to say it's our, a, a new year or it begins a special time or begins 365 days that we're going to call a year. January 1st, it's really, to me, it's never been anything super special, but collectively, as a, a, a people and for our calendars and to be organized so we're all in sync January 1st, it's the first day of the year. So yes, we saw it. It's, it's come. And we're now in year number 2021. And though some may not consider it super significant, many people do. And it is used as a day to evaluate goals and to make resolutions and check our objectives. And that's really not all that bad. There really are some good things to that. And for the past couple of years, We've started the new year here considering things about the church. And something's really just been working in me for the past several weeks. And it ties into the church. 
I really feel that the Lord would want me to speak to you about it. I believe uh, God didn't just press this on me, and it's really kind of messed me, uh, messed with me a little bit. And I've struggled with it, but I want to talk to you about it. And by way of introduction, I say this. Therefore, therefore, last week we heard this word, therefore. We had a scripture last week that began with the word, therefore. It was Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19 begins with, therefore. Now the writer of Hebrews in the 10th chapter, he wrote about the... uh, the sacrifice of Jesus and just how special and wonderful and really awesome that is. The offering of Jesus' life was perfect. It was beyond what had been done in the past, which was bulls and goats. And those were offerings for sin that had to be repeated over and over again. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats had to be brought before the Lord to cover sin, but never could really take away sin. And that's The point of the opening uh, verses of Hebrews chapter 10, that offering needed to be repeated over and over. But Jesus, his life, his blood, his sacrifice, once, once for all, doesn't need to be repeated. His blood, his precious blood, takes away sin by that one sacrifice, sin can be forgiven, and sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Then comes verse number 19. Therefore, and we heard the question, what's it there for? Therefore means because of that, because of what came before. And the the writer said, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, have the confidence then have the confidence to go into the most holy place, the presence of Almighty God. Spur on one another toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. What followed the word, therefore, then it was all about what we are here for. What am I here for? What am I doing up here? What are you here for? Why are you sitting here in these seats? I don't ask that as some rhetorical sort of existential question. Oh, what am I here for? That's all, you know, deep, deep purpose. I'm really asking in a practical sense, what am I doing here? Why am I standing up here? Why I'm here, that definitely is church-related. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And 1 Corinthians 14 talks about coming together as a church and it gives us some ideas and some of the purposes that we come together. And there was three mentioned at the open of 1 Corinthians 14, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And 1 Corinthians 14 goes on to say, it's all for the building up of the church. Well, that's part of my job here as the pastor, to be encouraging, to be strengthening, to be comforting. And to do it all for the the edifying or the building up of the church. But there is more to it. There's more to this role of pastor. On the day that 
I officially became the senior pastor here at Bethesda Christian Church. Pastor Alan Lee Dunn read me a charge. And that charge is based on Scripture. And I share with you just a, a couple of excerpts from that charge. Make the purpose of your teaching love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I have a reminder of this charge hanging on the wall in my office, the full text of it. And from time to time, I stand there and read it to remind myself, what am I here for? These are the things that I've been put in this place for. And all of this, this charge that was presented to me before hands were laid on and prayers were made, it's biblical. Most all of it comes from the scriptures in either uh, 1 Timothy or Titus. And these are often called the pastoral epistles. Paul wrote to these men with instruction. And, and he, he instructed them about being elders or pastors. Paul directed them to teach the word, teach doctrine, preach the word, convince, exhort, and bring the whole word of God. And that's my duty. It's my duty to put before you doctrine. The entire word of God. Not just a part here and a part there. But all of it. There's a biblical word for this. There's a biblical word for the one who brings the word of God to his people. And that word is prophet. One of my roles in this pastoral ministry is that of prophet, and not in the narrow sense of a future teller. Tons of that this week. Tons of that. You want, you want to hear the future? There's all kinds of people given the future. Some are secular prophets, psychics. Others are, they're standing in front of churches, and they're, they're telling what, what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. And yes, that's prophetic in one sense. But there's also a prophet in this sense. One who speaks for God, conveying his word and his will to a particular people at a particular time and place. And that that word from the Lord is attested to, confirmed, verified, legitimized by the written word of Scripture. So prophet, prophet in that sense, that's part of the pastoral ministry. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet was instructed by God to speak to his people and to, to bring his word. And God repeated through the prophet Ezekiel multiple times these words. Speak my word, whether they listen or fail to listen. Whether they listen or fail to listen, Ezekiel, speak my word. This is Ezekiel 2, 5, 2.7, 3.11, 3.27. It's repeated. Do it, whether they listen to you or not. That's, that, that was the duty of the prophet. I share that responsibility to bring the word of the Lord. Now for you, what are you here for? You have a choice. And 
Ezekiel really spelled it out, or, or the Lord spelled it out through that word, through the prophet. You have the choice to hear, to listen, or to fail to listen. To let it go in one ear and out the other, as my parents used to say to me. In Ezekiel's time, many of the people failed to listen. Even though they went through all the motions, they went through all the motions of worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel wasn't even there, but he was given a great picture of it. He presents this image in Ezekiel chapter 8 of a scene in the temple, God's holy temple. We've, we've talked about Hebrews 10, coming into the presence of Almighty God. Well, the temple in Jerusalem, that was where people were to enter into the presence of God. And Ezekiel gets this image and he presents it in Ezekiel chapter 8 of 25 men with their backs turned to the holy place. Their backs turned to God. And what were they doing? They were bowing down and they were worshiping the rising sun. They are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And here was the word of the Lord at the close of Ezekiel 8. I'll not look on them with pity, nor will I spare them. Though they'll shout into my ears, I will not listen. Because they did not listen. So I want to encourage you to be listeners. Now we heard some great points last week about encouraging, about encouragement, about pastors encouraging. Now of course that's part of my job. I want to be encouraging. I want to encourage everybody who's part of this church. However, some points of doctrine, some points of the word of God, they might not seem so encouraging. But it's not up to me to sift through the word of God and to keep what seems appealing and uplifting and encouraging and then set aside all the more difficult things. It's my duty to preach it and to teach it all. Sometimes it may seem lackluster. God's word might come across as unexciting. It might come across as dull, even boring. Earlier this year, before we, before we were asked to not join together as a group, before we had to uh, go directly online, I brought a message about self-centered happiness. It was all about seeking to satisfy our own desires in the light of what Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians. And what Paul wrote there in that letter to the Colossians was, don't be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition rather than on Jesus Christ. So I asked the question, does your happiness... Does what makes you happy depend on Christ or filling your own desires with what the word offers through hollow and deceptive philosophies which are fleeting and they don't last at all? And I asked you all to consider that very question seriously. And we closed that week with, with prayer. Now on the way out of the sanctuary that, that morning, I had a conversation with someone. We were, we were alone. We had this conversation. 
And this was a person that was just unhappy and presented me with a list of grievances. And they were all about me. I use an electronic Bible. Probably not going to apologize for that. My voice is too high. That was a new one. But the bottom line was just this. The bottom line was this. You're just too boring. You're just too boring. So I asked. I asked this question. What if I were to preach a message while riding a unicycle? Would that capture your attention? Would that bore you? Because I had done that very thing just two weeks earlier. I had a basketball up here too, and I was dribbling that. Not very well. And the idea of doing these types of things is to, to grasp attention, help, you know, help you to remember. So I asked that question. What if I, what if I were to do that? Well, I didn't really receive an answer. Because I, I, I know, really no matter what I did, probably for that particular individual, it would still just, it would be unappealing. You know, I rode a unicycle. Ezekiel the prophet, he did many more extreme things to, to make the point, to capture people people's attention. In, in bringing God's word in prophecy, Ezekiel laid on his left side prophesying day after day for 390 days. We've had to deal with this shut in, shut out, all the, the issues we're dealing with. We're on week 42. It's not been 390 days. Ezekiel did this 390 days. Then he rolled over onto his right side for 40 days. Then he, 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 one time he was clapping his hands and jumping up and down. He shaved his head bald, cut off his entire beard. He cooked barley cakes on dung. All to prophesy and bring God's word. One time he, he put all his belongings outside his house and he went back in and he busted a hole through his house. Busted a hole through the wall climbed out, did this in front of everyone, and then walked away. It was all to make a point. All to make a point. He did it to emphasize God's word. But guess what? Many of the people did not listen. Now, I'm not going to ride a unicycle every single Sunday. But I still want to encourage you to listen. And even, you know, if I did something really out of the ordinary, every single Sunday to present God's word, it might still bore you. But you know, I'm going to keep on preaching God's word. And you know what? If I bore you to sleep, I kind of count that as a badge of honor. Because I'll rank right up there with the most prolific preacher and writer of the New Testament. His name was Paul. The man admitted he did not speak with eloquence. You can read 1 Corinthians to, to hear him or, or to read him writing on that. But he preached Christ. He preached the cross of Christ. In Acts chapter 20, we read about 
Paul preaching. And it says, well, Paul talked. And it says this in Acts 20. He talked on and on. And there was a young man that uh, day listening to Paul talk on and on. His name was Eutychus. Well, Eutychus fell asleep on a window ledge. It was three stories up. He fell asleep to Paul's preaching. And then he tumbled out, to the, out the window, fell dead. So Paul truly bored Eutychus to death. Now, fortunately, fortunately, the apostle had the gift of healing. And he ran three stories down, and Eutychus was resurrected. If I bore you to sleep, you don't have three stories to fall. It may happen. But I move on now to Hebrews 10. I move on to to God's word. It might not come through as particularly exciting. It might not come through as entertaining. It might not seem all that encouraging. But what am I here for? I'm here to bring the whole word of God. Last week, we ended with some great points on encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24. Let's consider how we would spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. That's how we ended the scripture last week. So let's continue. Let's continue in Hebrews. Let's move on to Hebrews 10, 26. And I want to read you 10, 26 through 30. It says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pastor, do you really got to do that? You got to talk about sin and judgment and raging hellfires. Please don't. Don't talk about the consuming God. Don't talk about the judging God. That's kind of a downer, Pastor Pat. It's not very encouraging. It's really not uplifting. But what am I here for? To me, it is encouraging. It's encouraging if it keeps a soul from being consumed by raging fire. Now, we were reminded last Sunday of the vastness of God's grace. Paul, this this man who was called Saul, and he was a terrorist. He terrorized God's people. He didn't sin beyond the reach of God's grace. 
Now, after coming to Jesus and receiving the knowledge of the truth, as it says in Hebrews 10, 26, was Paul perfect? No. Did he sin? Yes, he did. He sinned after that, after that encounter with Jesus. But did he keep on sinning deliberately? See, he was very transparent about his life, and he was transparent about wrestling with sin. And you can read that in Romans chapter 7. But his remedy, his remedy was not to just deliberately turn his back on Jesus and walk the other way. He just didn't get fed up and give up and walk away. When he sinned, he turned to Jesus. Deliverance from sin comes through Jesus. Paul says that in Romans 7.25. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. And we can read elsewhere, places like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul was tempted to brag about how spiritual he was and his spiritual experiences. He experienced pain through this. He called it a thorn in the flesh, and he said he prayed about it. He wanted this pain to go away, but God answered, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The grace of God is sufficient, yes, for the penitent heart, the heart that turns in repentance. See, it's repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. This is, Paul wrote this earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He talked about repentance, godly sorrow that leaves no regret. Yes, God's grace is enormous. That's that's a principle. That's the general principle. And Paul did not outsin the vastness of God's grace. But with every general principle or rule, there comes an exception. And I can't neglect the exception. I can't just overlook the exception. That's one of the reasons I'm here, to bring the whole word of God, even the exceptions. And what's the exception? Once you have received from this vast, vast ocean of God's grace, you cannot continue in deliberate sin. Unfortunately, there are some who have. There are some who have received the knowledge of the truth. This is what breaks my heart. This is what I've been wrestling with this month because it's been several that have, have come into my life that I've, they've done this. Received the knowledge of the truth. Been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood of the covenant. Then chose to walk away. Chose to turn their backs on God's grace. Now some after being here years. Others for decades. Hearing the word. But not listening. And I, I can think of too many. The, the ones that... Uh, or in one way or another, a reminder this month, it just I can think of too many who, who chose to walk away, turn their backs, content to turn their backs on God. And not for lack of counsel, counsel whether by me or others or elders of the church. Yet they chose to live out Hebrews 10, 26. There's so much more to live out in the Bible, but they lived out 
what it says in Hebrews 10.26, deliberately kept on sinning. Now the sin varies. The sin varies, you can pick from the first to the 10th commandment. The, the, the sin varies. But often the, the justification is extremely similar. Oh, you're being judgmental. Heard that. You're being judgmental. Oh, the church is very judgmental. You don't care about my happiness. You just want to see me unhappy. You're saying God wants me unhappy. God wants to see me in pain. Well, you're telling me I'm not going to heaven. That hurts. It's not me. It's not the church that's being judgmental. We didn't make up the criteria. We didn't establish the, the requirements for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. No, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled the son of God underfoot? I didn't make that up. Someone who's treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and has insulted the spirit of grace. The Lord will judge his people. That's the Lord. If I share the word of God with someone who's, who's turned their back, and I, I do it as kindly and, and encouraging as I possibly can to attempt to win them back, and they don't listen and say, oh, it's me being judgmental. No, it's God's word. I once learned of a person that their, their, their behavior was going on to a place that I would just say it's, it was wayward, right? And I personally reached out. I privately reached out and made a conversation. But no, I, I was told, no, no, you're, it's, you got it all wrong. You're completely mistaken. It's not the case. Oh, okay, that's great. I, wonderful. Soon after, though, I learned with really, it was very positive, that wasn't the case was just, I'll say I was being lied to. So I called back, called back. I reached out again, heard nothing, didn't hear anything, didn't get a call back. But instead, what occurred was well, that person sought me out and sought to talk to me individually, personally, one-on-one. -on -one. And as we talked, just began to weep, just began to weep. And was so sorrowful and truly repented. Which, of course, was received, absolutely. And about that wayward behavior, never saw it again. Never saw it again. There was repentance and there was this godly sorrow. There was then fruit of repentance. And that's what God's word is, is here for us, to encourage us in that way. That was a heart that did not want to continue deliberately in sin. And so what is my aim? My aim is to use God's word to encourage all. Yes, to encourage all, to exhort everyone in the way that they should go. Oh, but pastor, don't say should. It was once suggested to me that the best sermons would not use the word should. And it would be good if, if I would prepare sermons that would... Eliminate the word. Don't use it. The result would be more inspirational. It would be more motivational. It would be more encouraging. 
then I read the Bible. I read what Jesus said. Jesus said things like, this is how you should pray. He said, you should tithe. You should tithe and you should also not neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should practice those. He said, the greatest among you should be like the least. You should wash each other's feet. You should do as I have done. That's the words of Jesus. You should fear God. You should repent. That's how each of the Gospels begin, that Jesus went out preaching, you should repent. I don't think Jesus was boring or uninspiring. I think he was uplifting and encouraging. And when he needed to, when he needed to, Jesus didn't mince words. He didn't mince words about those who were going to be in the kingdom of God and those who were going to miss out. Those would be outside where there would be weeping of gnashing and teeth. His words. He didn't miss words. He didn't mince words about how we should live. Now, as we begin another year, if it's a time for you to evaluate and to better your aims and goals, or whether you do that every day, which is also a great idea. You know, let's do that. Let's do that and do it according to the way the word of God asks us. Let's live. Let's live as the word of God asks us. Not just to know his word, but to live his word. To live it out, not, not just pieces of it. No, this piece and that piece because they're the good pieces. But the whole word, the whole word, not parts not a verse here and a verse there, all of it being reminded of what we should do. Let's let the word of God do that. It's what we're all here for. It's what we're all here for. And we're going to close with our communion time. Sit down at the Lord's table. This is what we're here for. And in it, we're reminded. We're reminded of what we should do. It's God's word. God's word. And I really want us to take it seriously today. Take it very seriously. Let it, let it work on your heart today. But that blessing comes straight out of scripture. It's my joy to bless you with the word of God from Numbers chapter 6. Given to Aaron for Moses to pray over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And from the New Testament, may the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding keep your hearts and your minds and your soul through Jesus Christ. May the peace of God in these uncertain times keep you. May the peace of God in the uncertain days ahead keep you. May the peace of God, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, guard your hearts and keep you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go with that blessing this morning.